0: Welcome to the Sunday recap. This is Chris McLaughlin here with Ariel Eldridge. Good morning, Ariel. Good morning, Chris. And good morning, Mitch Green. Good morning. Mitch. I'm here. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Great job on Sunday. Yeah. Yay. Preaching the word. It was it was fun. It was a good morning. That <laughs> yeah, was really good, man. I think uh, this is one of your best sermons.
1: Hey, you're here. Your I agree. Hey, hey. It, oh, was guys. <laughs> it was good. It was good.
2: I don't know. They they all feel like singles anymore, and I think that's a good thing. That's, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think when it, when like like you know I first got ministry, it's like oh, I'm going to deliver a home run. Yeah. Like every time, that's the goal. I remember one time I was going to try to like preach through Romans eight by memory when I was Ooh. in college. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got like four verses in and I was like, see, we got a Bible out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so, but I think no, actually so that's fun.
0: the really cool thing about what sermons are supposed to do. I think every sermon should be like a single, right? Yeah. It should be like every time you're just building a little bit more in, building mm-hmm. a little bit more in. And I think that's what was so good about it was it was, there, there was some things in there that I feel like a lot of people in the church knew was the right thing. But didn't, um, but but then the passage actually illuminated as to why, in a lot of ways, and gave us a lot of context around it, um, and I think really helpful and timely too for for our church. I, I feel like. The new year you know after the new year is always a good time to talk about this stuff because like christmas just happened we've got some credit card debt yada yada so it's like hey let's <laughs> yeah, you got stimulus checks you got Stim- all the money everywhere covered, yeah <laughs> so I, I think it's a great time to talk about all of these things hey before we dive into uh what we're going to talk about today um we want to let you know about something that is uh, just another tool that you could utilize here at Stones Crossing Church just to help to grow uh, your faith and your knowledge of the word. Um, And this is what we're calling um, Sunday Prep, Sunday Prep. And this is something that you can find on the website and on the app. What this is, is uh, Monday through Friday, there is a, a Bible verse that is going to show up that basically is gonna be preparing you for the sermon that's coming up the next Sunday. And so the main passage uh, will, will always be up for the Monday Bible reading. Um, on Wednesdays, there's gonna be a Psalm that's gonna be up there. And then Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday are passages that sort of surround that main passage for Sunday. So that way, what you can do is you can actually spend, you know just five minutes a day, really, and read this, you know the passage in a chapter in the Bible every day of the work week, and that's going to, one, it's going to prepare you for what we're going to talk about on Sunday morning, but it's also going to help just to familiarize you with the scriptures. And so if getting into reading the Bible on a daily basis has been a struggle for you, we want to encourage you to check out the Sunday prep. And that's, like I said, it's going to be something that's on the app and on the website. So go ahead and check that out. So well, this last Sunday, Mitch, you preached on Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. Um, why did you pick this passage? Or was it handed to you? It
2: was to me. Okay. <laughs> Let's start there. No, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, but honestly, I think as we were, you know, launching this series, Scott was working out the preaching calendar for the year. Um, he felt like that a good lead-in to talking about money, how we manage our resources, tithing giving generosity was to give a broader overview of how do we view the things that God's given to us? Yeah. So I was super thankful. I've said this many times on here. I would rather be assigned a passage than have to pick my own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah sure. It saves you from a lot of problems yeah. <laughs> when you know what you're going to preach about. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of where, where Scott asked me to go with this, um, which was super fun. I was thinking, I don't think I've ever done the first message in a series before. Mm. So that was kind of exciting to be like, how do you oh, set no, up? You did. you did
0: go together. Oh yeah, I did. I did. Well,
2: technically I was the, I was the week before the series. That's true. <laughs> <Technically>. <laughs> we're go together. I was supposed to be setting up the series, <laughs> yeah. but you're right. That was pretty much the first week to go together, <laughs> if, we're, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, so I, he assigned this passage to me. I spent a lot of time in it. Um, I was super grateful. You know, one of the things behind the scenes, um, I asked the team to get together on Wednesday cause yeah. I had some questions around this passage. I wanted to understand how some of aspects of it hit different people. And that was a fun Uh, conversation. Super helpful for me too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think clearly there were some things in there where, you know, I need to come clean now and I didn't second service, but the staff member that, you know, encouraged me to share one truth from there was Ariel Eldridge. Yeah. And
1: You're such a stinker. So I teased him between services. I was like, "Thanks for identifying me as a staff member." And he called me out second service, so I will not do that again.
2: But yeah. I really,
1: that was fun. I just
2: the the worst part yeah. was to try to come up with the word with like what did you say? You said I was I was. What did you say you were you were giving me? What did you say, Just say when you described what you were doing when you were bothering me with it, what was the word you used. I don't know. I'll get to my point. Basically what I was trying to say is like, I was, I was, when I was up there on Sunday morning, cause I wasn't like, that was not anywhere in my script. I was struggling so hard to come up with what word I could say other than she was giving me crap for it. I was like, I don't want to say crap up here. But I could not come up with a word. Like, <laughs> like so I'm literally, I'm up. So for those in second service, if I bothered you because I said she gave me crap, I'm sorry. You said
1: that? Yeah, I could come up with anything else. Now I'm, I'm like, even more mad. I'm like,
2: I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like. Like, yeah, she was giving me... Mm, grief. Crap. Grief, grief. Grief would have been good. Yeah. Grief would have been a lot better. Then <laughs>
0: you had that. You had the Xbox story. Yeah, yeah that was like, in second
2: too, not in fan. first. <laughs> and that didn't get recorded
0: either. She yeah. should have been in second.
2: Yeah. Exp- yeah. <laughs> should have came to second service. <laughs>
0: Mitch loosens up for second service. Yeah. Oh, um, man. Well, one of the things that you kind of started out with was talking about this idea that money is the thing that we are most likely to make an idol mm-hmm. out of, right? Um, so to kind of start things out... Um, what are some symptoms that we might be making an idol out of money? What are some things that maybe we could look for in our life if if we're trying to if we're kind of starting to go down that road a little bit?
2: I think it's mostly in how the way we approach our career. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've seen I've seen a lot of um, as a student pastor, and then I even remember when I was a student, um, just the way that we we encourage people in their path to make sure that they are stable. With their finances, um, so you know we 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 see some people that God may be calling them to do some things that are not going to, you know, be a source of a lot of wealth. But at the same time, um, we we see people be drawn towards this kind of stability with money, building up a nest egg, saving their money, you know, which which isn't which isn't bad in and of itself, but um it's actually it's it's not it doesn't it doesn't lead to joy in an ends of itself, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. money, money will not satisfy. And so I, I think that's, that's just the biggest thing is that our entire structure, you know, is around how do we um, use our, about around how can we gain more money and more resources. And then even as I've been married to JC, what I, one thing I've really recognized is that people see money as a way to value themselves, um, especially yeah. in the corporate world. Um, if somebody is going to give you a bonus um it may be off of the merit of how the company did but it's you all it's also viewed as how they view you mm-hmm. um and so they'll use it as a tool <laughs> you know they'll hold money from you if they don't want you there right. they'll give more money to you if they want you there and it's all a measure of value um for ourselves and i just think that that's that's really dangerous yeah. um it's really scary it's funny it, we differ very much from um, the first century world where, you know, it was, it was an honor culture. Yeah. So it's all about gaining honor. And it's funny. They would actually use their money to gain more honor. I was reading about this last night. Um, you know, many of the statues that we see from the ancient world are purchased actually from the people that the statues inscribed to. So they would use their By, own. statues. their own yeah, statue. So they cared more about honor than yeah. they did about money. So they yeah. would build these baths. They would build these statues. And that's like, so like it was in a sense, it was about obtaining money. And so, you know, for the elite class, like that's, that's one of the things Jesus is addressing in the first century world. But even more so, even their money was a goal to gain honor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way that we view it, that if we have money, as we gain more money, um, we think it says something about us. Um, and, and it very well can be, you know, the thing that keeps you from building up the kingdom of God is that you're trying to build up your own kingdom mm. with mm-hmm. your own resources.
0: Yeah,
1: That's really interesting. I don't know how far off we are, though. You know, when you think about people who invest in, like, buildings at a university and, yeah. and things like that, because they want their name to last, and mm. it seems like their kingdom is wrapped up in their name and in, mm-hmm. in their footprint.
0: You know, one of the things that I've seen with this, too, is um, uh, as people are in this pursuit of money, they'll, they'll, they'll come up with little... Um, lack of a better word, excuses for, yeah, for yeah. why they're doing this. And so it'd be something like, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this to provide mm-hmm. a, a good life for my kids and my family, or I'm doing mm-hmm. this so that we could, you know, send them to a good college or whatever. But, uh, but it, it, it's just funny. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, those things don't really, aren't, aren't the things that really bring joy mm-hmm. and fulfillment to a family life. You don't have to have a lot of money in order to have a good family life, and and so and so, it's almost like these things are, are, are becoming these these lies that the enemy is telling us. Like you have to have more money to do these kinds of things, mm-hmm. so that you can have the the uh, a healthy, stable family life. But that's that's not what gives you a healthy, stable family life. Absolutely, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah.
1: In fact, if you're serving that 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 ends, then the means are going to be. Um, chaotic right sometimes right because you're you're saying no to something else whenever you're pursuing money you have to let go of something else
0: yeah yeah exactly well let's take a look at the passage I, I'd love to just read read the the, the passage here um, would someone like to read that sure all right uh, I know we always ask Ariel to read it so
1: <laughs> I was just prepped and ready to go Bible lady here go. yeah <laughs> here this we is go. Uh, the parable of the talents um, verses 14 through 30 all right Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them and he who had received the 5 talents came forward bringing 5 talents more saying master you delivered to me 5 talents here i have made 5 talents more his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little i will set you over much enter into the joy of your master also and also or and he also who had But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. That All was right. lengthy. Yeah, it's a long it's, it's a, longer a long one. one.
0: And there's some weird translation things in the yeah, ESV. Yeah, ESV. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Um, well, um, there is a natural tension, I think, in this story that um, be, because the story ends with judgment, Mm-hmm. right? Because it ends with this, okay, the take that worthless servant and, and cast him into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you, this is this picture of judgment. So it raises some questions for us about what we understand about grace. And it raises a lot of questions too about, I, 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 think, I think the tension is in really the identity of the servants and the character of the master because one of the things you said on Sunday, I think was really, really good, really helpful for people to know that parables have one correct interpretation, but multiple applications. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think it's an important thing as we're studying parables. So there is a correct interpretation of this parable. How did you arrive at that correct interpretation that doesn't seem to be in tension with the idea of grace?
2: Yeah. So I want to, I'm going to speak very openly about this and maybe this will surprise some people, but Um, I have not read, I don't think I've read the parable of the talents in a long time. Sure. Um, you know, I, I read through the gospel of Luke last year alongside Acts. Um, but I don't think I've read through Matthew's gospel straight through in a while. And so, um, when I got assigned the story of the parable of talents, I actually think I had some, um, misrepresentations of the way that I understood this story, Mm -hmm. um, even as recent as two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So to be very, very open to that. So as I was reading the parable, one of the things that I think is very important to do in prepping for a sermon, um, really anytime you're reading bi- your Bible, is reading the passages around it. And so I read you know, through the passage one time. Um, the first thing that I noted was that, okay, there, there is judgment for the way that we handle our resources. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of the, the piece that I saw. I saw that as the conclusion of the parable. But where I was really confused was I was kind of understanding this parable to be about um, those who are already in Christ. Uh, yeah. That was just my what, what as I was the reading, identity
0: of the servants. Absolutely, this was oh he's talking about Christians.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. talking about those who are already following him. There's masters, there's servants. Mm-hmm. We're servants of Christ. I, I had, I had applied these things to it that um, I don't think are accurate in the way that we read the parable. So that was the first thing. As I okay. started to do that, and I had this misrepresentation. Well, when I did that. Um, it really started to cause some confusion for me because this parable ends and it says that they will be thrown into the lake of the fire for the weeping and the gnashing the teeth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how is somebody that's in Christ that does not, um, regardless of how they manage their resources, why would they be thrown into hell for it? Yeah. Um, and, and I was like, that's just not, that doesn't hold to the biblical narrative. Yeah. So what do I do with that? It seems in conflict with grace. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the next thing I did, and I'm sorry, this is going to take a while, but hopefully it'll, it'll bring some clarity.
1: Relevance to is coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Relevance is coming.
2: <laughs> so the next thing I did was I read the next part of the passage, which kind of doubled down on this narrative where Jesus says, yeah, Jesus the, says, yeah, says um, what well, you did judgment. for the least of these you did for me. Um, and then he continues on saying that, you know, what you didn't do for the least of these, you'll be cast out. You'll be thrown in the lake of fire. And so as again, I still had, didn't have this appropriate filter of who is Jesus talking to, who's the audience and who are these servants. And Mm so, so I was thinking about it that way. Um, But then something really clicked for me as I began to prep more because I knew, I knew, again, it's important when you're reading a passage of scripture, you got to think of it within the context of what's around it. But you also have to think of it within the context of the entire, you know, the entire Bible. Right. And so I was like, this just doesn't line up with the truth that I know that I know to be true about this. Mm -hmm. And what was, what was super helpful was then, so I started to say, but I know that's not the main point of the sermon. There's application here about how we manage our resources and all that. Um, really it was kind of about Wednesday when we were sitting down with our team that I, you know, kind of laid out the question about, um, what does judgment day look like for Christians? That was kind of the bigger question Mm. because, um, as I was looking at the parable from the lens that this is for Christ followers, I started to have questions around. Well, I know that we're going to be judged, and I hear people talk about this, but I've not heard a lot of people talk about final judgment from the Christian perspective. Yeah, um, I've not seen a lot of writing on it. You know, I even I'm I'm in the middle of writing my like master's thesis stuff, and I wrote it in as a question just so I could do more research on it if they would allow it. I, I submit like five questions, they pick one, but that was one of yeah. them. Like final, what is final judgment like for a Christian? Yeah. So, um, but so I started to raise these questions. I was like, okay, it seems here like they're being judged for the way that they do their actions. But the reality is, as we were talking amongst our team, what we started to recognize is those verse 24, verse 25 is key to how you understand this parable. When you look at the response of the servant who's not faithful with his resources and yeah. how he's declared.
0: Let's read that again. Yeah. Um, so it says he also, this is the, the, the uh, tough interpretation here, but he says, he also, who had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what is yours. Yeah. That's his response.
2: Mm -hmm. So, so once you see his response and then you see the the master's claim back to him, which is basically, he just poses the same question. So you knew, you know, so you thought that I gathered where I didn't scatter any seed? You saw. You thought that I reaped where I did not sow? He poses this question to him. What, what we begin to see about this servant is that he has a misunderstanding of his relationship to the master. Mm. Um, and once you start to see that, and then you think accurately about the context of the crowd that Jesus is talking to, you know, he's talking to those who are um, Jewish. He's talking to those that are, you know, probably a part of the Pharisaical class. He's probably talking to some that are not religious. He's talking to a, a large group of people, you know, when he's sharing these stories and he's sharing these parables. He's not talking to those who have already committed themselves to him. Mm-hmm. So once you appropriately, appropriately understand the audience, then you start to say, okay, he is putting the audience into different categories here. Mm-hmm. He's putting the audience in those that respond faithfully to God, and he's putting the audience in a category of those who do not respond faithfully to God. Mm-hmm. But what is their response grounded in? It's grounded in the way that they understand their relationship to the master. That's yeah. why this part is so significant. So I, I just think, I, I I think it took, um, and I, I think it's, I, I mean, I hope it's important for people to know this, that like it can take digging sometimes mm-hmm. because, because again, this is a parable I have heard for my entire life. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say most of the time I hear the parable I have listened to this response from the servant and I've thought it to be a, um, true claim about the master. Yeah. I've automatically just said like, I I've thought of it like, Oh, like, I get that. Like, I know people that are stingy with their resources, and if they ask me to borrow something, I'm more careful with their thing than I am going to be with someone else. And yeah. and I start to apply these things from my experience to it that I think misrepresents the actual truth of the parable. Yeah, And so I had to back up over the last two weeks and say, like, let's reorient ourselves to this story that may be familiar to you, yeah. but I've been taught it from a, like, manage the things that God's given you well.
0: So let me let me play devil's advocate yeah. um, really quick. So Go for it. What what you're saying here is in verses 24 and 25, the servant gives a response that is not true, talking mm-hmm. about, like, the character of, of the master, yeah. talking about, like, who what he's like. And that's an incorrect or inaccurate mm-hmm. representation of who the master is like. What's interesting is that in the next verse, the master answers, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Um, is this the master affirming what the servant says or is this, or, or, or why? And if it's not, then why is the master saying that in that way?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to note that he's posing a question yeah. back to him. Um, I think we know, we know that sometimes questions have answers in themselves. Um, I would say that I, as I did more digging and I looked through you know commentaries to see what people said about this, um, they they see this as a claim from the master to saying that you're applying statements about me that are not true mm-hmm. by posing these questions back to him. Um, and so I I think, I I think that to me, is how we interpret it. But I think I don't think it's even just to sit on those two verses. I think it's once we once we apply that lens, to the entire story, it makes sense in light of the biblical narrative. Yes. Where the other one doesn't make sense.
0: That's true. And so
2: that's why it's almost as if it works forward and backwards. So it's like, you know, for me in this case, that that two sentences helped solidify how this story fits into the biblical worldview that I've been presented with for the rest of the Bible. But it also works the other way around where the Bible was the tension – that's helping me interpret this story. Yeah. So as I'm reading this, I go, oh, that lines up with the truth that I know to be to how we relate to God, Yeah. Um, that I've found in scripture that is taught throughout all the books of the Bible. So now I need to reapply that lens to the way I read the rest of this story.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think, yes, you could say like, okay, he does say those things, but we need to know that it's posed as a question, and then we need to take it back and apply both those lenses to the way that you read this passage. Right. And does one fit within the biblical narrative? Or and does or, or do they both? And it's like one does and one doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, one there's one accurate interpretation, and it appears to be that this is a narrative that's telling a story about all people. Yeah. Rather than those that are just in Christ and how they manage their resources. Absolutely.
0: Barry, I want to ask you a question here. Okay. Because uh, one of the things that that we've been talking about before the show was just um, how does this relate to then our interaction with God when it comes to uh, when it comes to fear and, it mm-hmm. com- and that sort of thing. So can you unpack that concept for us?
1: With yeah. So I had a question for you guys before we we started recording. It seems like the um, the third um, servant is really struggling with an unhealthy fear of the master, like he. He perceives him to be someone who he's not. And so you see that in the way he describes him. And then the, the master mm-hmm. is asking it back to him as if, you know, basically the claim is, is false. Um, and so there's something here where he has missed out on um, the true character of his master.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then that has jaded the way he has acted. As a servant of this of this master, mm-hmm. um, and so my my thoughts were like, what is that unhealthy fear? How do we get there if we are if we are servants if we're going to like jump to application, mm-hmm. and um, and what do we see in contrast in those first two servants?
2: You know, I I think. Um... I think this is important and this is where the story gets beyond just talking about money and how we manage our resources. Right. Yeah. But I think, I think what, what we're seeing here in Ariel, I think you said it really, really well, but this is way, even as you're talking about it, I don't know for everybody else who's listening, but for me, um, my immediate reaction is, I think that's the way that most people view God.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Is that,
2: that they have a miss, they have a misappropriated understanding of who he is. Yeah. That, they're looking at the things that they've been given, they're looking at the realities of this world and they're going, well this is what God's like. Mm-hmm. And it's just not an accurate representation of who he is. Well,
1: you look at what he says about him and you can tell he has some frustration yeah. with him that perhaps he has reaped where he hasn't sown. Perhaps he feels like his master has things that he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And or, I, it, um,
2: exactly, it's and I unfair. I don't want to misapply it, but it's like, you know, he has one talent you know, who knows who knows like who he's comparing to those who have five to those who have two. Mm-hmm. He may be upset with what he's been given. He may be upset with how he feels he relates to, to this master. And and I think that's where a lot of people find themselves in this world is that they find themselves in a place where they're frustrated with the things that they have, mm-hmm. that they want more um, and that they've been bought into even this larger narrative that Jesus is warning us of that we've talked about in the beginning, that the more things you have. Um, say something about how you're valued, say mm-hmm. something about your worth. And so I think um, when people have bought into this narrative, not only about their finances, but then also they misappropriated um, things to God that maybe they've applied blame to him that's not his, that they've been hurt by the things of this world, that they've experienced some trials in this life. And then they apply all these things to God. They're misrepresenting who he is. and they're They're, they're building a wall to where they can't they can't relate to him appropriately. Mm-hmm. So now they see everything that happens to them in this world, every resource they have, um, and not even in a, like, God's non-existent stance. But I think a lot of people sit in a place where they're like, I'm frustrated yeah. with what you've given me. Yeah. So I, I think to me it's one of it's, – it's really um, – it's why I think Jesus, in my mind, is drawing such a bigger picture Yeah, Like he's not just giving us a parable of how to relate to one another, Mm -hmm. but he's really saying that the way that we orient ourselves to the master has significant ways in the overflow of how we live our lives. That's
0: why I really appreciated one of your first points in this was this idea that God owns everything. Mm -hmm. To me, um, first of all, I thought that was an interesting one to start with in that you don't really see that in the passage until you – get the, that whole thing right about what this, Mm -hmm. what that last servant is saying, because he's saying, you know, the, the, the last servant says, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So there's an accusation there of the master taking things that doesn't belong to him, uh, is, is essentially what, Mm -hmm. what's happening there. And, and, and what I thought you did wonderfully, you, you, you actually gave us 11 verses (laughs) that yeah, <laughs> uh, eleven different verses that illustrate how God actually is the owner of everything. Mm-hmm. The Master actually owns everything, which is one reason why we can come back to this and say, "Oh, this is a false accusation mm-hmm. right. that's going on here." The Master um, gives everything, owns everything. He doesn't. He doesn't reap where he did not sow. He doesn't gather where he doesn't scatter seed. Mm-hmm. He owns not only the seed, but the land that it's on. And he's the one that makes it grow to begin with. And so having that perspective that God owns everything from the very beginning is, um, is actually, I mean, in my mind, I think is the key to reorienting your understanding mm-hmm. of your relationship to the master, I mean, in in, the, in regards to this parable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think
2: this is where I think it's important to see this in light of our current context, mm-hmm. how we relate to God as Christ followers. But again, what's true for, what's the biblical worldview for the way that we relate to our resources? So in, in doing this, and I'm sure you guys picked up on this, but, like, I chose these passages intentionally, yeah. not just because they had truths that I thought were helpful, But um, I wanted to start with, you know, Genesis, so that you saw this from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, I then wanted to turn towards um, law, Mm
1: -hmm. so that you
2: could see kind of how this related within the Torah, um, how God gave this as law. Um, I then continued, and I wanted to see this from the psalmist perspective, where you were hearing the psalmist declare this with their own mind and heart. I wanted you to see this from prophecy, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, so you see the passages like Job you see this, um, Haggai. Yeah, you, see, you see this in mm-hmm. the Haggai passage, and then as we turn to the New Testament, I wanted you to see. We're already talking about Jesus teaching about it, so that's like that it's was there, that okay. was already there in what we're talking about. I wanted you to see this from how it was established within the context of the early church. Yep how they believe this. So that's why I turned to the Acts passage. And then lastly, I wanted you to see how Paul teaches this within his letters, how this is, it's, it's almost was the assumed posture to the way that we relate to the, to the resources Mm -hmm. that we have of all of these audiences. So I, it's like, it was a good list of verses. I read them in order intentionally, but I even chose them to represent the different um, genres of the Bible and to represent the different sections of Scripture so that we could see that this is something that is a um, represented throughout the entire Bible. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I really appreciated that because it seems like um, what we often fall into as Christians is having um, wrong thinking about God. And so mm-hmm. you've given us a whole Bible picture of why it's so important to know what the Lord has revealed about himself to us, mm-hmm. um, and so that we can have an accurate picture of him. And so... Um thank you for doing that. That was really cool. Yeah. I like I like that you walked us through that.
0: What might be a couple of ways to help us to keep this perspective maybe in times of temptation. So, I mean, is, like and and maybe what would what would you guys do? If if you're in a place where you're like um uh, feeling frustrated or um uh, over the 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 maybe the lack of things that you might have at some point or or jealous of someone else and what they have and mm-hmm. things like that. But remembering, but trying to come, come back to that place of, of remembering that God owns everything. God gives everything graciously. Um, how do you help yourself to get back to that place of, of real, realizing that? Chris, one thing and you said this on Wednesday, um, I said it briefly in
2: the message. I don't know if I gave you credit, but um, you know, God has prepared this work for us. That's one of the things we see in this story is that God ge- that, that the master gives them these resources for them to manage, um, I think I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Um, that God is, well, God has allowed me to manage the things that are His. That ultimately um, they're His and He's in control, and um, that provides peace for me. I find myself more working around discerning how we can use our resources the best that we possibly can. Yeah. Um, if if I leaned anywhere on the spectrum and spectrum in this current season of life, is um, that's probably negative. Um, even though he kind of says this would, he, he says this in the story and it's funny cause I think of it as it relates to JC and I, but he's like, um, it would have been better if you just put it in the bank, <laughs> you know, it's like what he says. And, <laughs> and what's funny is like, it would be better, but it's still, he's, it's not implying he's the best thing. Yeah. You know, I can be somebody that wants to, you know, okay, I make sure you got it. We got a new baby coming. We got a pocket of money ready for the baby here. You know, like, like, and try to like store it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and store it in ways that prepares for, you know my longevity, my kingdom. And so I, um, just practically speaking, I have to be reminded to be discerning with the ways that I even save money, what we give to, um, what are we really saving for? What are, you know, like like I have to think about it at that level yeah. as much as it's like a pursuit of more money.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: for me, I'm, I'm often finding myself being reminded that this is God's. Yeah. Um, so, so anything, and it's not just like give all your money away to some project or to the church or something it's, sure. but I have to be discerning and remember that it's not like, okay, God, like I'm making a sacrifice for you. And it's like, no, I'm responding faithfully back to him. He's entrusted me with this. And so it's reminding myself to always be discerning, Yeah, to not fall into patterns of just kind of letting it go. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's, that's what it looks like for me in this season of life.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, I think that, um, Coming from a female perspective, I've I've um, sat with a lot of gals who have uh, looked around us and compared ourselves to others, and it seems to be a struggle a lot for um, for anyone who's on social media, really. Uh, yeah. Uh, but realizing your second point that God has entrusted us with His resources, you see here in this parable, He has given each of these servants a different amount. Um, And it says based on their ability, and only he knows what that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, I think a a good place to um, keep our minds is knowing that he is going to give to us based on his grace and his good pleasure so that he'll be glorified according to what he's given us and what we do with it, not so that we all have the same thing and produce the same amount. um, Because he can be glorified by giving a little bit that is turned into um, something that is... Is
0: good. I think w- what you said is really good because the the key there is about his grace. It's it's recognizing that we actually don't deserve yeah. anything. Right. Like we don't even deserve to live or mm-hmm. exist <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, but what God does in His mercy is He gives us every good gift that we have. So James James chapter one, mm-hmm. right? So He gives er- everything that's good. That we have is a gift from Him, yeah. and so um, and it, you know it just reminds me of what Pastor Woody always used to say. It's it's you know, hey Woody, how you doing this morning? Better than I deserve, mm-hmm. and that's that's how this kind of fleshes out in this situation. Yeah. It, um, we have more than we could ever deserve because what we deserve yeah. is nothing good. And something I said,
2: (laughs) something I said loosely too, I think we can be convinced that if we just had more, we would be better with it. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that's true. Um, one of the, one of the stories that I, that I didn't share in the sermon, but, um, I heard Francis Chan talk one time yeah. about about this and the way that they manage resources. And he's one of the people that I, he's a role model for me in the way he thinks about money.
0: Absolutely.
2: Um, I mean, there's lots of things he says that I know people have seen recent things and we're, sit those to the side, Yeah, yeah. but talk about the way that this man approaches money. Yep. And it's, it's unbelievable. So, you know, Francis Chan was a pastor at Cornerstone Church, I believe for like 15, 20 years before mm-hmm. he left and went to San Francisco. When he was the pastor at this church, he, um, he, he, Basically never took a salary.
0: Never. Well, he, he, he ne- did
2: eventually, <laughs> but very he, short yeah. period of time.
0: So I actually, so I met him and talked to okay. him about cool. this whole thing. He, he uh, started out with a salary of $33,000 a year. That's what he told us. Yeah. And, and he was in that role. So this was, he was in the role when I talked with him for 10 mm-hmm. years, he never took a raise. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't need any more. I'm yeah. I'm good. Never took a raise, and eventually he was able to stop because of you know. I mean, he he gets money from other things now. books yeah, sales, wrote and crazy things like that. love all, that, but yeah. but he ba- basically stopped taking a salary from the church altogether and served that church for free yeah. for, so, for a long so time. So I
2: was listening to him talk about this um, in in a sermon, and and one of the things that he says is people regularly in this season of ministry would come up to him and be like, dude, you need to get more, like you need to take more money from the church. Like you need to like save more money. You need to like, they kept saying these things to him. And he said, one of the things he said um, was, have you ever considered that I'm not the one who's crazy? that you are. Um, He's like, have you ever considered that? And, and, and the story goes on, Francis Chan, you know, ends up selling crazy love, which has sold a ridiculous amount of copies of books. And and he's given most of that away. And any book I've seen him right now, it's given like all the money's given away to something else. Like, but it's, it, it began, and I'm not trying to make much of Francis Chan, but the disciplines that we establish at any point of our life are going to affect our future disciplines mm-hmm. especially as it relates to finances mm-hmm. um, the way that he approached money when he established when he started in ministry affected the way when he's making half a million dollars a year from yeah. selling from selling you know from from selling crazy love i've seen that so true in my old life yeah. you know just to get really down to the practical details yeah. you know the way that i spent money when i was 20 years old affects the way that i want to spend money when i'm 30 <laughs> years
0: old isn't that true <laughs> um, <laughs> you know
2: and i we have i have more money now than i did then but it doesn't it doesn't really just click overnight mm-hmm. yeah um it
0: it, it having takes, more money doesn't solve the, the heart problem yes right yeah mm-hmm. exactly last question for, for our discussion here, but the last uh, application point that you had was to establish these disciplines. Establish these disciplines that center your life around the kingdom of God. You told this really great story about your parents and how that mm-hmm. you saw faith um, in the way that they were handling their money and how that got passed down to you. But what, um, what are some of those disciplines that maybe we can then start to do on our own now? Like, what what are some things that maybe you guys have learned and you guys do that that help to establish um, uh, to kind of keep the focus on the kingdom of God in the way that you handle your money?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so again, about every time this year, my wife and I sit down and we evaluate our finances. Mm-hmm. We look at where we're spending our money. We look at the things that um, how much we're saving. We look at what we're giving to.
0: It's like a budget meeting.
2: Yeah, we we do it we do it annually. And my wife is an accountant, so keep that in hey. keep that in your back pocket. So uh, the first time when we, we when we were going to purchase our house, we, house we both showed up with spreadsheets. I literally shut my computer the moment I saw hers. Hers had, <laughs> hers had all these cool functions that Mike couldn't do. But we 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 make it an intentional part of the conversations of how we do our lives. Yeah, one of the I say this to people to be very practical. The favorite thing I mean we've only been married three years. No nowhere near expert. Favorite thing we ever did in our marriage was we set up a separate um, savings account that we have money that's deposited into every month. Mm-hmm. Because again, my wife's an accountant. She's a planner. She likes to plan ahead and know what we're doing. I'm someone where I'm like, we're going to give to something. Let's just go do it. You know, She's yeah. like, I want to have a plan for it. So we set aside a separate money that we dump money into every month that is there so that we can give to things when we feel like God's leading yeah, us to that's a great idea. It is my favorite thing to do with her is mm-hmm. to see something and to call her and to say, hey, JC, I saw this thing. You know, let's kind of pray about it. Let's think about it. Let's give to this. Yeah. Um. For those who I think are more disciplined, you know, than I may be, um, it really frees you up yeah. to be able to to be able to do that and to give generously. That is above and beyond a tithe. That's an entirely separate thing. But it's it's it just helps establish that principle. The other thing I would say is that. Um, you have to you have to start to give to be able to establish these disciplines, and I am so thankful giving that, like
0: yeah giving to the church to, yeah, and, yeah yeah to yeah. the young people
2: that may listen to this. Um, one of the best decisions I ever made was to start tithing at my very first paycheck mm-hmm. because I think that it would have been a lot harder if I would have waited a while mm-hmm. yeah to do it yeah. absolutely. Um, so establishing those disciplines as early as you can, um, I think I think is foundational. And then the last thing I would say is don't play the comparison game. Yeah, you can't look around and see whatever. There's always people who have more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know there are always people who are going to have things that you want.
0: Jeff Bezos is looking at Elon Musk right now and going,
2: "Man, <laughs> I think it's the other way around." <laughs> no,
0: Elon Musk has. Really? Did you hear that This last week, he he surpassed wow. Jeff Bezos. This last week.
2: Yeah, there's always there's always people <laughs> other than Elon Musk, other have, than Elon who Musk. Have, who have more money than you. <laughs> Um, and so I think you just got to be sensitive to that. You've got to you've got to recognize that you know these things um, they don't add up to your value, mm-hmm. and you need to not pursue them with your entire life. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The only thing I would add to that because there's not much that was really good list is um, letting the first fruits be the first mm-hmm. fruits. To actually think about tithe first and let that come mm-hmm. out first before anything else and yeah. establish that. Um. Yeah.
2: And watch it re- watch it like restructure your heart or oh, yeah. your finances. Yeah. I yeah. think that's the thing. Yeah. Like I mean. It, it really, it, as much as, you know, tithing helps the functions of the local church actually happen, mm-hmm. at the same time, it reorients our heart to the way that we approach God and money. Mm-hmm. Exactly it right. just changes. It changes the way that we see the finances that we have. It is such a radical worldview. I mean, I, if, I, if, if I don't even talk to my non-Christian friends about it, but if I did talk to them, you know, about, hey, everybody in our church is giving money to the church. They'd be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, they don't give
0: money to things, you know,
2: because that's just not the way that they approach their finance. It'll radically reorient your
0: heart. Absolutely. You know, as we close today, I do want to plug one other quick thing is that this semester, uh, this spring, we're going to have a number of classes. And one of those classes is our financial peace class. Uh, It's going to be taught by Kyle and Patina Brozek. They're members of our church, wonderful people. Um, Space for this class is going to be limited to 12 people it's going to be a small class and so if you're interested in um learning more about some of those disciplines this would be a great class to jump into and to uh and to learn about that so we want to encourage you to do that registration is going to open up this next week so you can look for that in the email so well hey thanks so much you guys mitch again great job here we go yes great Great setup for the rest of the series looking forward to what scott scott's gonna be back this next week right mm-hmm. yeah so um
2: after a five five week five weeks is, man, he's gonna come in hot I'm yeah
0: ready for it. <laughs> totally so we're looking forward to that so we will uh yeah we'll see you guys next time on the sunday recap have a great week